Hey, hey, welcome to another episode of Iron and Soul Podcast. I'm here with my great pal, Ivo Ivanov. He is um, a man. I don't know why I said it like that. <laughs> he's a man. Um, he's a fella that I met a few years back doing another podcast and just I just have really connected with this guy and and we have a lot in common and, and we do another podcast together called uh, um, Wednesday Nights Undressed. It's yes. been on hold for a little bit. Um, they did one last week, I guess. Um, but him and I do a great job on that podcast of Devil's Advocates. We tend to argue a little bit more on, on that one just for fun to get yes. a different perspective <laughs> of things. So... Um, uh, Evo has a really uh, a great story. I'm looking forward to listening to it. So, uh, welcome to the podcast, Evo. Nice to be here, buddy. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. How are you? How are you hanging in there with the in the apocalypse? <laughs> the post apocalypse. Post apocalypse. It's been. Um, you know, I'm thinking years from now, Josh. Years from now, historians will ask each other. Which quarter of 2020 you specialize in? <laughs> <laughs> you know, right? this is, has been a ridiculous, ridiculous year. 2020, it's, it's shocking thinking that it's only, we're only six months in. Six months, and right? And it all started with a horrific helicopter accident where Kobe Bryant perished. And it seems like it was 10 years ago. I know. And that was in February or January. January. And then January. we hear nothing anymore about that. Like, that was such a tragedy. Yeah. And the next thing we know. Boom. Oh, the whole world is on hold. COVID. And then on fire. Yeah. 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 We're on fire now. Um, so. so and, and consider that this is um, election year. Mm -hmm. And we're going to see the worst of the worst. There is no doubt in anyone's mind that this election campaign is going to be the ugliest, nastiest, most disgusting campaign we've ever seen in our lifetime. And we saw 2016. So that's going to be, I, you know, I kind of wish it was the 31st of December right now. I know. And or, we are looking forward to the next decade. Or even whatever the inauguration day is. Right? Yes. So at least, because I believe, mm -hmm. we're, I believe Biden's going to win. You do think I, so? Do I think he's the best candidate? Probably not. No. But, it, but I want him to beat Trump. I think he will yes. if he can. If he can ride this, mm -hmm. and and if his if his political machine can manage it well, he he can win this election. Yeah. It. I mean, it was hard to find a more uncharismatic candidate, <laughs> but so but true. they. You know. so true. <laughs> <laughs> but he does have a chance because he's. Um, you know, he's uh, fighting against, um, you know, let's call him his, let, we got to name the things the real name. We have a sociopath. Oh, yeah. You know, um, just, I've never really, I'm, I'm having a hard time thinking of anyone else that I have encountered in my life that has less empathy than our current president. Or maybe he has zero empathy. So... It's uh, it's scary to have somebody at the helm, uh, with his finger on on multiple triggers, who is void of empathy completely, and continues to pull triggers in in small ways. Like even yesterday with the um, taking away trans health. Oh my! 
yeah. in America. I mean, like, I don't know the details of it all right yeah. this second, but he just, you know, took that away. Like, not protected trans yeah. people in healthcare. What a, like, like, it affects him or anybody else. Like, yeah. so weird. So, you know, when I arrived in the United States, I would describe my political inclination as slightly le- leaning to the right because I came from behind the Iron Curtain and I've experienced communism. Um, the first 24 years of my life were uh, under communist regime and, um, you know, I always had kind of an instinctual repulsion towards communism and, and any kind of form of it. And so... Um, at this point, though, I cannot talk about left and right. Uh, I was always, um, I was always interested uh, in my life, and as a journalist and a writer, I was always interested in humanism. That was my my thing. I was always interested in the human condition, and it what exactly makes us human. And as a humanist. I cannot condone this this person that's uh, leading our country um, in in his own direction. Um, I've heard so many times he's not the disease; he's the symptom. But I gotta tell you, at this point, after after three and a half years, I gotta say this is a virus on its own. This is his own disease. He's his own disease. I agree with you one hundred percent. Really. Think. And I, I tend to be, oh, you know, you know me pretty well. I'm, I'm a half glass or glass half full type of guy. Yeah. And almost full, right? Yeah, like yeah. I, I tend to, to. You're positive to optimist. Pretty, yeah. Yeah. Pretty hopeful person. And then even with this, with him being in the, the um, helm for four years, yeah. um, some of the conversations we've had before, I tend to be the person that's like, it's going to be okay. Yeah, we're gonna get through this. You know, the crew that we we hang out with tend to be um, to the left, to the left, and with Trump in office, a little half empty. Right? Yeah, yeah, like a little kind of hopeless. We get into that kind of yeah room. So I I tend to be more hopeful. I and I still am. I just get I just got a, a pretty sad um, news a couple of days ago. Have you ever heard of dog whistling? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. so. Um, he's Trump is holding a rally. Yeah, on the, June, June June 19th. June nineteenth in yeah. Tulsa, Oklahoma. And if and if you don't know out there what uh, June nineteenth is in the in the realm of Black Lives Matters and um, Black people's history, is that that was the day that um, slaves were emancipated. Yes, and then the worst massacre of black people in the United States happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yeah. And Donald Trump, our president of the United States decided to hold a rally on that day. Yeah. And so I had a friend tell me about dog whistling this, this week. And a a dog whistle is something that only certain things can hear. So dogs can only hear ultrasound. Yeah. Yeah. That sound. So racists Mm -hmm. that know history can only know that sound. So when he does that, yeah. He's he's letting people know yeah. where he stands. Yeah, and he, you know, he changed it so it's not on the Juneteenth, you know, celebration. 
Oh, he, he did changed change it. it. Yeah, he just changed it to the 20th of June. <laughs> that was no, his big compromise. I didn't realize that. So yeah. you're, you're giving me new news. Yeah, so. he just changed it and he said it's out of respect, you know. Oh, interesting. But, um, you know. He still whistled. He still he's fucking whistled, man. Dog bullhorn, you know. Yeah. it's His dog whistles now a dog bullhorn. But, you know, sometimes with him, I wonder if it's because we often hear people say, oh, he's playing a a three-dimensional, four-dimensional chess. Whereas he is, I feel like there's no strategy behind his actions. I feel like it's ignorance. I don't think he even knew. It, his administration probably, he's now surrounded himself with people that have achieved a stunning level of incompetence. Oh, agreed. And they know nothing. He's found sycophants and copies of himself that are disinterested in history, in uh, science, geography, whatever. Nothing um, scientific and empirical about their actions. So I feel like, oh, they just looked at, at the situation. You know, they probably didn't even know about the 1921 massacre in Tulsa and the Black Wall Street and all that stuff. They probably didn't. They're just a bunch of ignorant people. I am, at this point, just based on observation, I'm convinced that there's no strategy. There's just chaos, entropy, and in just lev incredible levels of incompetence in this, uh, in this administration. And I think, so. I think he actually doesn't even know... I think people are pulling the strings. I honestly believe people are pulling the strings. Yeah. I think he's just tweeting and eating McDonald's and watching Fox News, to be yeah. honest. And then they put, say, hey, and give him a little update. You need to sign this thing. Yeah. And you're going to be here, and these are the funny words you're going to say, yeah. and this is what's going on. I don't think he has enough brain power yeah. to do the things that he's doing. Like, And in fact, I, I feel like there is a mechanism to reach him because – you know, you can't just go and tell him, sign this. You have to first tickle his ego and say, sir, oh, Mr. President, you are a genius, you know, and, and this policy is shaped, you know, based on your previous statements. And or even more if effective, send the policy to Fox News and have them on Fox and Friends or Hannity or Tucker Carlson Talk about how fantastic this new policy would be, you know, for Donald Trump and for, for the presidency and the country. And then he will sign it. You know, you're right. People are manipulating him any way they want. What if what if they show up to his office, like yeah. Ivanka? Is that her name, Ivanka? Ivanka. Ivanka shows up mm. to the um, Oval Office and says, I've got some McDonald's on your phone. You can eat some McDonald's and you can tweet if you just sign this. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Signs it doesn't even fucking know it, what it is. It is amazing. Um, you know, I feel like we are in a very dangerous precipice in this country I because I I mentioned I lived it during a communism and but also the other side of the coin is I also lived not only under a communist regime, but under a dictatorial regime. Oh, that's right. And, and I feel like this is where we're heading. I see all the signs, every single sign I see, the, the suffocation of free press, free speech. This is happening in front of our very own eyes. And there's too many 
formerly democratic forces that are complacent in this and history is not going to judge them kindly because dictators come and go and he will be eventually he will be gone it might be it might take two or three mandates but he will be gone eventually and then it will be uh, history's turn to pass judgment and it's not going to be mild and it's not going to be kind on the sycophants and the Himmlers and the Goebbels and the Görings that he has surrounded himself with that are enabling him. I uh, have very, very little respect. No, I have zero respect for the likes of uh, William Barr and Mike Pompeo and Mnuchin and those opportunists that are licking his boots and, and trampling in the process every democratic principle this country was built on. And just It's all the just line their pockets yeah constantly yeah. in their friends' pockets with cash yeah. just to make everybody just richer and more powerful. Yeah, Ra- corruption is rampant. Yeah. Uh, draining the swamp, I guess that's what it meant. Yeah, I guess so. You know. yeah. Draining the swamp right in their pockets. So, you know, we've we've talked for, for a few years now on the other podcast about, about his presidency uh, and uh, about how inadequate it is and and whatnot and all the challenges and you've you because we kind of play each other's devil's advocates and you know for the the sake of uh, conflict on on the show uh you would sometimes take take the other side and say hey give him a chance give him time you know give an opportunity to his experts you know but he's little by little deconstructed um the entire government it seems deliberate or oh, maybe yeah. This point, yeah, yeah yeah and you know what's interesting is that for for 3 3 years exactly 3 years he never was challenged by a crisis that was not of his own making that is that is a great point yep that you know true. it yep. was he was lucky he mm-hmm. he coasted yep. there was momentum positive momentum economically um there was no you know no giant cataclysms you know the global economy was okay no major wars and then the first crisis that he had to face that this administration had to face that was not of their own making uh they folded they folded was that syria I would say no. That's the COVID nineteen. You think the COVID was the first? Yeah, the COVID nineteen was out of his control. You know, uh, right? I see it what was, you're saying. Yeah, it was something that was gonna happen no matter what, and it was up to this administration to approach this um, crisis aggressively and just like um, the previous administration took care of the Ebola crisis. You know, and you know what we needed to do, obviously was be proactive in this send uh, the best of the best that we've had in the past send the best epidemiologists the cdc has to offer best experts and contain the uh, virus before it's it spreads uh, spreads just like they did with the ebola virus um then i remembered when obama was tackling the ebola virus how trump was tweeting constantly insults and things like uh you who would send our fine americans to africa right now you know blah 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 and then um he brought back uh an american doctor 
who was a carrier, who was infected with the Ebola. Obama brought him back with every imaginable precaution, and they cured him here. That's right. And I remember that. That's yeah, right. remember yeah. Trump was tweeting yeah. back then. Yeah. How dare you bring yeah. the virus back to our shores? Um, so, you know, that was the first crisis. Now we're facing a crisis that I haven't seen. I was here in 1992 when the Rodney King riots um, exploded in L.A. But this is different. This is not just national. It's global. Really wide, yeah. It's amazing. This this is different. And I feel, Josh, that, you know, it, this is the straw, the proverbial straw that bro broke the camel's back. 100%. But also, I feel that there's something more underneath all of this. I feel like there's also class rage underneath all, all this. We remember the 99%, the 99%, uprising and peaceful protests i feel like those two have merged mm -hmm. the the racial injustice and the 99 percent because the social layers here are so there's such a chasm between the haves and the have-nots and such a uh, dissolution of the middle class that people have had it and with the covid uh, we have 40 million people that have lost their jobs and uh, there's more poverty. And what happened really that was just enraging was the printing and redistribution of $2 trillion <laughs> among the richest of the rich yep. with giving with, a, you know, a, a few peanuts being tossed to the zoo animals that is the rest of the country. Um, so they can pay their, their bills for a, month, for a month, for a month. Whereas the biggest corporations that already were just ripping, just, you know, full of cash, full of cash after the enormous tax breaks they gave each other a couple of years ago, they gave each other another trillions of dollars yep. with 500 billion going to companies like Trump's real estate developers. What's really sad about that is that our Democrats were involved in that as well. Yes. That's what's really sad is they all unanimous, unanimously, whatever that unanimously, word is, yeah. signed that yeah. stuff without, they all agreed that that was okay. Yeah, it's... Um, it's, and that's uh, sad. That it's is... under the veneer of helping everybody. Yeah. Uh, they managed to pass. Like, I was thinking that there hasn't been crisis, major crisis in the world, that was not used for two things: for opportunists to make enormous amount of money, and the second thing if, is for taking away human rights. Yep. And when this pandemic started, I I felt like that's what that's going to happen again and it did and um you know but it's still infuriating and th this is why we see people that just have had it they've had it they've had it with this they've had it with our democracy being destroyed and you know people finally are starting to recognize that we're moving towards dictatorship authoritarian regime we have an oligarchy ruling the country and a plutocracy and we have no middle class, more and more people working two jobs to make ends meet. Inflation, the prices are going up like crazy. 
have you noticed the grocery store's prices? Oof. It's yep. I feel like things have doubled in price since the beginning of the pandemic. Yep. And um and people were so prices are going up. People are either making the same amount of money or not having a job and taking the same kind of unemployment that they've had before. And so, you know, things have boiled over. And there's one other thing about the protests that I want to mention. I was involved in our bloodless revolution in 1988-89 in Bulgaria when we transitioned from communism towards democracy, basically from ter um, from dictatorship towards democracy, which is the opposite of what's happening now here. And, and <laughs> <laughs> so true. And, so true. And, and so um, what we did was we had committees. We created uh, kind of revolutionary committees mm -hmm. and uh, kind of underground committees that... Um, it was I was a college student at the time, and it was all college student-driven uh, revolt. Uh, so all the universities in the country, all the college students, on a, on the same day at the same hour, we stormed the universities at, at night, yeah, and barricaded ourselves in the in the university buildings. So we had tens of thousands of college students barricaded in universities demanding elections democratic elections for the first time in our life so was that was that after the wall or was that before the wall it was as the wall was crumbling and it was happening pretty much at the same time all over eastern europe so, uh, so it was like just this gigantic wave wave okay it was way and you know the part of the reason we did this was obviously we were idealistic college students are usually the agents of change mm -hmm. idealistic progressive open-minded and we want all we knew our whole life was was this uh, confinement and you know communism and we wanted freedom and freedom of speech just you know it was something that the freedom to move around to vote and so we demanded this and we didn't know what's going to happen um in fact our dictator at the time um peter mladenov was his name he he threatened to send the tanks on tv so we were ready for this too and for about a week we lived inside the universities our parents would and other just people would bring us food and drinks and stuff that's um, awesome. Yeah, it was great. Although at the same time in Romania, the story unfolded differently and there was blood spilled on the streets and Ceausescu's um, National Guard attacked protesters and it was it was bloody and nasty. And eventually the, the streets took over and it was a kind of a barbaric execution of Ceausescu and his life, Elena, you know. But we didn't know what's going to happen. And we had a communi communist dictator, and still, still, he didn't send tear gas. He didn't send ru rubber bullets. He didn't send his henchmen with their b batons to break legs and beat people and arrest people. And I'm seeing all of this happening here. I'm, I'm watching peaceful protesters getting beaten up maimed with rubber bullets sprayed with with tear gas 
or pepper spray right to the pepper face. Spray. Yeah, it's ah, it's man, some of the stuff I've seen is it, it is incomprehensible to me. I arrived here in thirty years ago, and uh, the first place I set foot was um, JFK Airport in New York City, and I was amazed, Josh, because. Um, my first impression of America was how col colorful it was. And I come from a homogenous society, racially, culturally, religiously. And everybody is white and Orthodox Christian, Greek Orthodox Christian. Yeah. And um, we have no diversity of any kind. And I arrived at JFK and I looked around and I saw so much color, so much harmony. I was in shock. I couldn't believe that a, a society can function so harmoniously and push progress forward together. So one of the things I'll never forget was this Orthodox Jewish person um, dressed with all the garb, mm -hmm. you know, talking at a, at a little convenience store at JFK to a Muslim woman who was covered and was working at the store. And they were talking and, and he was joking, they were laughing, both were laughing. That's and I, Yeah, and I looked at this and I said, oh my gosh, this is what I always wanted. This is what I've been dreaming of. This is the place for me. I was always an American without even knowing it. And, and then, you know, I came here to study. I went to graduate school. And then eventually I, I got married in 94, met my wife, fell in love, got married, had kids. And for the longest time, I resisted getting a citizenship, American citizenship. So a year, two, three, four, five years passed and I'm not applying. And I just had this weird, like... Um, holdback, a weird barrier that was preventing me from from applying for citizenship. I felt like I'm going to be leaving behind part of my life that I didn't want to leave and I didn't want to abandon my identity. But finally, we did it. With my wife, we applied because uh, we had kids and the kids, it was going to be tough on them in case something happened with her or me and yep. inheritance and all this stuff. And for documental reasons, we applied for citizenship. So in the year 2000, I took the oath and uh, it was a beautiful ceremony in Kansas City. Beautiful ceremony with a, like a choir and it was just poetic. It was beautiful. And, you know, and I, I was touched by the whole thing. And... Uh, went home that day and wrote wrote a letter to the editor uh, but it was massive it was like a big article basically mm -hmm. and sent it to the kansas city star in that article i explained why ideologically i'm happy to take the oath and become an american and i reminisced about that first day on jfk and what it meant to me and and how important the message of the United States is uh, not only for the United States society, but, but for the rest of the world, for the entire globe that is trying to move forward and leave behind ancient vendettas, racism, hatred, nationalism. And 
I described it in the article, and to my surprise, the Kansas City Star called back and asked me to come to the to come to um, their headquarters. So I went down. They took my picture. They published the article on first page and no edits. Every word and every comma, everything. Oh, it was shit. a giant, giant piece. Wow. And you know what's really sad? I was happy back then, and that uh, kind of, frankly, probably opened the door for me at the star because I wrote for the star f- after afterwards for quite a while and, and had a contract with them and wrote a column for them and all that stuff. But what was really sad is that I looked to find that article um, last week because I realized it's the year 2020 and this article right now probably would not be published and would sound so naive and idealistic. Our world in the last 20 years has become so cynical. The internet has opened the door for cynicism and suspicion and and trolls. And so, and also, it is not the same America that I was describing. I might have been too naive. I might have seen the surface and no, and not this uh, this undercurrent of hatred and racism that seems to have always been underneath the surface. Surface, but anyway, I couldn't find can, the article. But, yeah. but you can be naive, yeah, and and still believe that that shit exists right like believe that hope and color and diversity and all of that stuff and still be naive as a person that comes over here that's still okay yeah it's still okay to 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 believe that people can live like you thought we were living right yeah i just feel like we've abandoned so many principles of what i was talking about in this piece who's we um our government yeah so the message being sent by every abandoned treaty by every deconstructed diplomatic relationship by every abandonment of human rights um by the destruction like the trans rights that you mentioned this is this is um an avalanche of messages that are that are permeating all over the world infecting other societies we now have bolsonaro in brazil we have um you know duterte in the philippines uh okay duterte was there before trump but he's emboldened by this we have um uh you know victor orban in hungary we have so many trump clones and they are infecting the entire globe with this weird nationalistic exceptionalism uh, with this like bizarre isolationism suspicion towards everybody that looks different you know I took our our friend Louis to Bulgaria in 2003 and we spent one unforgettable month in Bulgaria made many friends and traveled all over the country and Louis is African American and you know it's so weird that just a week ago we were on the phone. I was on the phone with him. He has two little kids, a family, and he told me, hey, if there is one more mandate, if if the current administration wins one more mandate, 
can we start making plans for me to take my family to Bulgaria? No shit. Yeah. Can we start? Because he doesn't feel safe. He's told us that he's never really felt yeah, safe. Yeah, I know. We've had conversations yeah. about that. I mean, what what black man feels safe in this country? Yeah. And now, and now not at all. Yeah. And so he's he's right because he never felt safe. But now, now it's even, things have gone even further because this administration has enabled the worst of the worst, has given them a voice and legitimacy, has given the white nationalism um, a platform, governmental platform, has given the right-wing media, the extreme right-wing media, a megaphone, and the dog whistle that we talked about is no longer a dog whistle, it's a dog bullhorn, and it's blasting horrific propaganda all over the country. Reality doesn't matter anymore. Uh, Truth is not truth, like Giuliani famously said, and we shouldn't believe our eyes and our ears, like our beloved president said. And also, these are words that George Orwell, uh, if you remember, he said, the last directive of the party was to not believe what you see and not believe what you hear. And that's very important. Yeah. <laughs> that was George Orwell. Wow. And that was echoed, that is echoed every day by, by our administration. I'm worried about the press. You know, one of the reasons we didn't get murdered, killed uh, in, in the late 80s when we revolted against the communism was that CNN was there. CNN, the the societies have opened up enough towards because of Gorbachev that CNN was allowed to cover East European news and the CNN cameras were everywhere when we revolted and they the communist administration realized that the, the times are changing and that their time is probably very short and the revolt is real and also the international press is there and is covering and if if they commit crimes it is very likely there there will be justice in a tribunal and it's not going to be like it was before so cnn was there with their cameras and they were much stronger those cameras than any canon uh guns so uh obviously cnn has moved to the far not far left but way left maybe to the far left and i think that's um that was objective uh, movement that was driven by the creation of Fox News in the 90s that the other, the left needed a equivalent of the Fox News. So yep. so now, you know, it's hard to get real news from CNN as well. Yep. So you've got to search for your own news from independent sources. And that's what they want. They want yeah. people to, to have to do the work, even though it's out there. The other thing you mentioned that was really interesting is this idea of the cameras being in there and that helped... Um, yeah, the sir. violence yeah. not happen. Yes. Yeah, we're not giving a fuck about cameras right now. There's cameras all over Everybody the place, has and the violence camera. is still yeah. happening against peaceful people. Every human being is a broadcaster with a yeah. camera now, and yet, and that's what's really petrifying. Yeah, that's what's frightening. That you have uh, some kind of unidentifiable forces dressed like stormtroopers so you can't see their faces so there's anonymity about it they don't they don't wear any kind of insignia 
that indicates who they are, what part of the police force they are, so they can still do whatever they want and remain unpunished. And you're right, um, broadcasting their actions doesn't lead to any kind of consequences and yeah. is not a guarantee for safety. I, uh, when I was in the army, I had, uh, it was mandatory for us to experience tear gas and it was um, chlorpicrine was the name of um, the gas. It was a commonly used tear gas everywhere all over the world. So what we had to do is we had to enter a, a windowless barrack and with gas masks, and then they spray the tear gas, and then you take, have to take off your uh, gas mask and uh, say a few words and open your eyes, and, and then you have to put on the mask and run out. And it was, I gotta say, this was unfreaking believably excruciating experience. And for for the rest of the day, this was in the morning. So for the rest of the day, it was horrific pain, coughing, pain in the eyes, unbelievable. Um, and um, it was horrible, horrible, horrible. They're using this kind of stuff against peaceful protesters. This is a weapon. This is a weapon of war. Rubber bullets are not rubber. Most of the time, rubber bullets, they have metal core and a thin layer of polymer covering it. Rubber bullets leave the nozzle with 300 feet per second. Yes, they're not as lethal as real bullets because they're bigger and they reduce speed as they travel through the air. Their speed is reduced, but they can kill you. They're only meant to be fired at lower extremities or at the ground. Right, for bouncing. and Yes, and you have people permanently blinded now. Journalists. A photojournalist, that's his job, his eye. You know, you have uh, somebody in Kansas City is about to lose their eye from what I heard. Uh, A 59-year-old woman that was going shopping was shot with a rubber bullet and lost her eye. And there's permanent injuries being caused by these rubber bullets, and they're shooting them indiscriminately at people like the people are cattle or or animals that are being hunted. And I, if we are heading towards becoming the dictionary, um, the dictionary explanation of the term police state. And I'm really, really worried about all this. Man, what a dire show we had today. Right. <laughs> darn wow, it. Wow, you, you took it down a dark path there. I'm so sorry. I'm so, <laughs> so sorry. So do you, th- so with my, you know, I'm a half, half full, um, maybe even tipping over. Do you have any, do you believe in hope? And do you believe that, that the rev- this revolution and this can cause change enough to, yeah. to for us to bounce out of it? Are you, are you a pessimist and it's not going to yeah well there's reason for hope and the reason is all these people on the streets uh there's like uh, three kinds of people that i think i identified that are protesting the first kind is the people that sincerely won't change that are on the streets because they're fed up and they want real change 
Uh, the second kind of people are opportunists who are there to loot and to to make a buck or steal something. And the third kind of people are the bad actors and agitators that are trying to compromise the whole thing, right. the movement. But I got to say the first kind of people that I mentioned is probably 95%. Right. And the reason to hope is they're not going to storm the monarchical palace, but they're going to vote. These people are heading straight from the streets to the voting booth. And if that person thinks that he's going to stop them with the mail-in ballot manipulation and scaring them with COVID-19 second wave, no, no, no. We, they've reached the point. They showed it on the streets, risking their lives, really, uh, oh, under an yeah. avalanche of rubber bullets. Yep. They will go and vote no matter what. Yep. So that's, uh, that's the reason to hope. And the other, you know, is that the last time I saw people take to the streets in these kind of numbers, change came almost immediately. So... Uh, you know, and I have tons of reasons not to be hopeful, but, you know, enough darkness, you know. <laughs> let's, let's go to the Lord towards the light, Eva. Yeah. <laughs> so, what do you think, so how, how's your family handling all of this? And yeah, are, are you guys getting to hit in the streets or are you just, just sitting yeah. back and paying attention what it was oh my daughter bless her heart she's an idealist like me and she, sure she took is. to the streets you know she was um she was very 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 animated about this whole thing and uh, she and her young friends she's a college student now they made signs and they took to the streets and they participated both kansas city and lawrence uh protests and they're continuing to do their part, you know, they're trying to be active, trying to <clears throat> volunteer uh, for the elections and whatnot and doing their part. Um, I moved my office at home uh, through the pandemic and so did my wife. And amazingly, we are just, um, you know, we are absolutely up to our necks with work uh it's it's incredible how much more work i have since the COVID 19 i work with multimedia mm -hmm. and video and stuff like this and now suddenly i'm in the biggest demand imaginable you know uh editing oh, video and putting together you know recording zoom meetings putting together stuff um online and stuff like this and my wife's super busy as well but we we participated as much as we could. You know, Jamie went to the pro protests as well. Um, my son is a little different. Uh, you know, he has his convictions, which coincide with ours, but he's not as enthusiastic. And I don't think he went to any of the protests. But, you know, he's doing with his peers you know he's he's working and he can vote now so yeah he's gonna do his part in the in the uh, voting booth come november so nice. that's where we are and i feel like a lot of american families are that way too yep. so um are you are you been, have you been riding in this time um you know i had to write a story during the pandemic for some uh they had nothing to do with either the pandemic or the um, uh, or the uprising 
uh, I had to write for a c collection of stories. And then I did a bunch of, I did two TV shows, because I also do a TV show, a TV segment for Bulgarian television. Uh, and I did it on the pandemic twice. And that did very well. And I do everything from A to Z. I put the video together. I I did, I do animation now. So I do. Oh, shit. Yeah. So I did like a few animated shorts that I embedded into my report. Um, then I did maybe three or four interviews. Um, actually, I did three interviews for different television stations in Bulgaria. And I did two radio, two big radio interviews, uh, one on the pandemic and one on the situation right now. And just so there's so many things. I haven't had really time to write my stories, but uh, yeah, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get busy with that. You know, I I got lazy during the pandemic. You know, there was like those three months during the pandemic. I don't know what it was. I should have probably written a book in those three months. Instead, I finished uh, Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's the whole all, library. I'm done with it. I, it's all the whole thing has been watched. <laughs> Everything on Netflix has been finished. <laughs> oh, so true. So true. Like, yeah. you think we're going to be productive and they you put us. Oh. I'm not a person that can work from home. Yeah. I struggle with that. Like, yeah. So I did some work, tried to do some work, but luckily I have an office, so I could come here and yeah, and do work. But it has been wild, man. Yeah, I didn't get shit done. I don't know what he was about this pandemic. Yeah, he needed but the it, vacation. Yeah, I guess. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Every time I wasn't working, and I was working, frankly, I was working ten, twelve hours a day, and then I would just finish and just get away from the computer, from my editing bay. And just descend into my man cave to and Tiger King. sink King. deep into Tiger King and Joe Exotic <laughs> and all this stuff. And well, I watched everything, Ozark, you name it. Did you watch um, Midnight Gospel? Midnight Gospel? Uh, That's not on Netflix, is it? It is. Come on, I finished Netflix. You finished Netflix. You must have missed that. It's um Midnight Gospel. It's, do you know who Duncan Trussell is? Mm -mm. He's a comedian. Yeah. Um, and then he, what, what's, what's his name? Duncan Trussell. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah. He partnered with the guys that make Adventure Time. Yeah. And they created this cartoon about simulation. So this guy, I can't remember what Walter or something like that. Yeah. Goes into the simulation and, but he brings real people on to narrate where he goes. So like they talk about meditation at one time and they talk mm. about, um, uh, prescription drugs. It's a really oh, yeah. interesting show. Wow. It's gotta, really cool. I got to check it out. Yep. And speaking of meditation, um, that was what the, my story was about that this entire collection of stories that was, uh, that I had to write about, uh, was, um, about slowing down, about finding a way to slow down, which was kind of funny because it was in the middle of a pandemic that slowed everything down. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, if you if you look at our life outside of the pandemic situation, it is pretty. It goes pretty quick, and there's way too many competing st stimuli for our attention. So we find ourselves kind of in this never-ending cycle of madness, and we are also bombarded, sensory-wise. We're bombarded with stuff. Like, for example, 
we're recording a podcast right now. I constantly listen to podcasts. Wherever I do, walking, running, driving, I'm constantly listening to podcasts. When I'm at the store, I'm listening to podcasts. Um, when I'm editing video, uh, sometimes I'm listening to podcasts. And uh, we actually have to get away from it, from all of this every once in a while. Maybe once a day to a couple hours at least and do nothing. Uh, let your mind just wander because that's the that internal dialogue. We don't give a, ourselves an opportunity to carry this internal dialogue that's responsible for creativity. And uh, so it was the book was about this. And um, I, you know, I brought up in my short story that I wrote, I brought up my experience here at the flotation tank uh, nice. because we you know we have um or had flotation tank uh, places in lawrence and there's some in kansas city too they closed down yeah one of them closed down the one that i was using and now the pandemic has really changed that paradigm yeah. completely but um it was something incredible it was something fantastic that allowed me to meditate without the om, you know, I didn't have to go through the the usual steps, meditation steps. I just went into a tank and started meditating. So it's important. Um, and how we manage our time is important. Some people that go very fast are not as productive as people that go slow. You know, Einstein uh, slept, famously slept 10 hours a night, 10 hours every night, all his life. And took one-hour naps during the day. Uh, that's Albert Einstein. His brain needed a break. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. At the same time, Donald Trump, he sleeps infamously, sleeps three three hours a night and tweets social media all the time. He doesn't sleep. Because he's on that stimulant. Yeah, which, you know, uh, immediately invokes the question, couldn't have Einstein slept less and Donald Trump more? <laughs> <laughs> So true. So true. Um, do you, uh, here's a, we're going to take a, a quick turn here. Yeah. Do you believe in plant medicine? Do I what? Believe in plant medicine. So like hallucinogenics and. Yeah. Like for... <coughs> and isn't some of the most effective medicine just come from plants, right? Yeah. Some of the most uh, important medicine comes from, come from plants yeah. or, um, or, you know, things that are decaying that you know we used to die from strep throat just a hundred years ago it was uh you know you you get strep throat and you can die and then you know um fleming discovered in the basement of a church discovered that uh penicillin <laughs> can take yep. care of that right. you know exactly yeah but do you believe in like mushrooms and taking mushrooms yeah to, for medicine like yeah to adventure and and figure out what's what's out there yes absolutely i am very interested in the expansion expansion of human consciousness you're probably familiar with the stoned ape theory mm -hmm. and that we really there was just a bunch of mammals on earth and there's this theory that abstract thinking was what separated us from the rest of the animals the ability right. to construct a, a model of the future the only way to do this is to be able to think in abstract terms. Right. And there's a theory that 
says that maybe, you know, an, the apes that we were at some point wandering and basically trying everything, it's trial and error. You eat something and you die and you know not to eat, you know, your right. tribe knows not to eat that again, right. but you eat something else and you survive and it's nutritious. And so the ape was wandering through the forest, trying everything, this berry, that mushroom, that leaf, and eventually ended up onto a hallucinogenic mushroom. And if you've taken, uh, you know, DM, DMT, mm-hmm. uh, which is the active ingredient in, in, in those mushrooms, you know that abstract thinking is an immediate effect of that. Right. And, and so they say maybe that's how we, for the first time, we were able to expand our consciousness to a place where we could make uh, constructs of the future that we were not able to do that before. And that's what little by little helped us uh, become human. Now, mushrooms are very interesting. Um, they are, as a creature, they're very interesting. So, you know, most, not most, all plants, they consume uh, uh, they consume car- car- carbon dioxide mm-hmm. and they produce oxygen and mushrooms are like us they don't do that they consume oxygen they inhale oxygen and exhale carbon dioxide they're closer Did not know that. To, yeah they're closer to us than they're to plants they're not plants you know fungi are are living organisms like us and they're, they're fucking aliens is what they're yeah <laughs> and, and yeah and they're oh my god it's amazing yeah and they're one of the oldest living organisms yeah. on earth so they're ancient and there's wisdom in them that we have not uh, entirely tapped and understood and the things that are happening right now because the society has reached a new plateau and uh, and it's new horizons are opening um, in terms of treat- treatment of depression, uh, existential trauma. dread, trauma, PTSD. They're discovering that all a lot of this medicine, other medicine that is really uh, in many ways sometimes damaging uh, in terms of side effects and stuff, uh, it pales in comparison to what one dose one dose of DMT can do. So sometimes all you need is once or twice to quit smoking or to abandon addiction Mm -hmm. or to get over PTSD or people that are in hospice and know that they'll be dying. It's an incredible, if they it has an incredible effect on them. So um, you have, you know that you're going to be dying in a year. So these 365 days you have left are a nightmare. You cannot sleep. You're constantly torn apart by existential dread and the thoughts that you will no longer be. And you take one dose, they've discovered one dose is enough for you to achieve complete calmness, recognize your connection with everything else in the universe, with nature, and and just live happily the rest of your life so the one dose does it enough for the rest of the year yes for the rest of your so you're okay for some people for for, some people for some people for some maybe two for some it might not work now dmt is not recommended for people who have like bipolar disorder 
or schizophrenia or one of those disorders but you know it's um there's an incredible book michael pollan mm -hmm. so that's recent and there's really like stamets another he's the guru of mushrooms yep. you know there's so much material now to read and and there's actual scientific studies being conducted right now by the most um respected medical institutions in the country that are dedicated to this to understanding the healing power of this molecule that is natural it, we have it in our brains we have it it's in nature it's in those mushrooms and it's there for a reason so let's take it yeah I, it's you know, it's illegal it's scheduled it's one right schedule one well it's decrim is it it's decriminalized in denver oh wow oh yeah that's right i heard and, about and that. i think it's on the ballot to be legal and i think it's decriminalized in san francisco yeah as well i'm i'm toying so i've i've been sober 20 years in june wow congrats this month, this month. but i've been toying with because i love adventures to this to the inner yeah. universe you know yeah i've been toying with the with going down that yeah especially years yeah. ago but yeah and when you said um you know you have you're sober um now the good thing about dmt and the mushroom the uh hallucinogenic mushroom this we're not talking about addiction it's right. a non-addictive substance right. you don't ever get addicted to it yeah the the question the thing that i've been battling in my brain is intent right yeah that's my intent expanding your consciousness right but opening is that doors. is that my addictive mind saying that mm -hmm. so i can take something to see what happens that's what i toy with that's what my brain toys with. So well to... we are always on a quest uh you and i josh i mean i know you long enough we are on a quest to find out who we are and to accomplish the most out of ourselves that's right you just reaching your full potential finding everything you have inside of you and, and achieving it and this is something that is part of us our consciousness our subconsciousness they're connected the human connectome that's 100 billion cells in your brain and they all have connections and we're talking trillion connections it's it's the internet of the mind that's bigger than the entire internet in the world It's the most complex thing in the universe the human brain and um we don't know enough about it we just want to know ourselves before we die i want to know you know what are the places i can go safely it's it's a safe space but it's part of me and i want to discover it Fuck it, i'm in i'm doing it yeah <laughs> I, eat, I eat five grams tonight <laughs> we're gonna get arrested we're going, hey, I've, yeah. I've, I've been down that road before too so whatever <laughs> Sorry, mom. <laughs> she knows. She bailed me out. So, oh boy. Yeah. That's... Um, well, you know, here we are. We're out. We're running out of time. It was so, a good one. It was a good one. I'd love to have you back. Oh, anytime, buddy. Yeah. Anytime. All right. All right. Thanks, Evo, for being on. Thank you, buddy. Remember, everybody. Perseverance through strength and vulnerability. Later. <laughs>